0: Hey, welcome to Babes with Balls, a podcast for the gutsy women making Aussie's sport their own. I'm
1: Sarah. And I'm Taylor. And today we're chatting to Lucy Stefan, a multi-time world champion in the Australian Women's Four. She's a Rio Olympian and is well on her way to some exciting success at the Tokyo Olympics after a very successful few years. Hello Lucy and welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having hey. me. Hey Lucy,
0: how are you going? Great, thanks. So let's get started. Oh, Tell us about yourself. Tell us who Lucy Stephan is. Um, well, I'm a
2: country girl, so I grew up in a place called Nil, which is exactly halfway between Melbourne and Adelaide. Um, and then when I was about 15, I was sent off to boarding school. Shipped off. Uh, in, sent off, yeah. My parents <laughs> sent me away. They didn't love – no, they loved me a lot. Um, Uh, So, yeah, I was lucky enough to um, get the opportunity to go to boarding school in Ballarat. So I started boarding at Ballarat Grammar for year 10. The rat. The rat, yes. (laughs) And then, um, yeah, pretty much kind of like struggled for the first little while. Been away from home and I grew up, I've got two brothers and so I very much grew up around boys. So it was really weird going from that to then living in a girls boarding house and that being my main support network where usually my main support network has been blokes. So that was a a bit of a change. And yeah, then I guess I kind of found my feet and discovered rowing, which I guess is what I'm here to talk about with you guys today. And yeah, it was really cool. Like grandma, they offered, they offered rowing as a sport, but when I was there, which was from 2007 to 2009, the lake was pretty much bone dry so kids when they used to walk home from school used to walk across the middle of the lake uh, so for rowing we used to drive to Geelong once a week and row there on the Barwon for like four eight k and then come home and erg and cross train the rest of the time and I guess yeah for me I just fell in love with the sport and that was kind of you know I just love being on the water and mum saw how much I loved it and got me in touch with the clubs at Melbourne and Melbourne Uni was the one that jumped out for there and the rest, I guess, is history, really.
1: Well, yeah, it's definitely history considering <laughs> you've accomplished so much uh, with your rowing. So, Lucy, you mentioned that you moved to boarding school in Year 10. Did you move because of your rowing or did your passion for rowing start at that boarding school in Ballarat?
2: Yeah, there's, like, a few reasons why I was lucky enough to go. Um, my mum, when she, she pretty much was, like, the instigator of us, uh, like I said, our two brothers, of us three kids going away to school when she was growing up she didn't get the opportunity where some of her younger brothers and sisters did Um, and then when she tried to move away from home when she was 18 she really struggled and just wasn't used to it and so I think for her she saw it as a really good stepping stone of us kind of getting out of the country and learning you know pretty much learning about the city even though Ballarat's still rural but being away from home and getting that experience so that was probably the main reason, and then another reason was I'm really quite into fashion, um, and I really wanted to study it. And Neil didn't. They offered textiles in the, like, Year Seven and Eight, where you like made pillowcases and aprons and stuff. <laughs> um, but they didn't offer it as a B, C, E subject or a Year Twelve subject. So that was another reason. And then yeah, I guess like for me, rowing was always something that I wanted to give a go. Um, it's a bit of a cheesy story but when I was in year six we got to go on a school camp to Canberra and you're in Canberra you go to the AIS and you're going to go into that sports room and it's like beat Kathy Freeman or you know try your hand at throwing a shot foot this far or something like that and they had two rowing machines set up and you could kind of race on these rowing machines and it's year six so all the girls are bigger than the boys but I beat everyone on this row machine. I was like, oh, my God, finally a sport that I'm good at. Like, I love sport, but I was always just kind of that battler that just had a go, but was never, like, never ever won the best and fairest, was never the best on the team or the fastest runner. So I was like, finally a sport I'm good at. And so in that kind of sat in the back of my head. And then, obviously, moving to Ballarat gave me that opportunity to give it a crack.
0: And talking about moving on from Ballarat, you certainly did find your feet because you have, and I've got them all here, you've won a silver medal at the 2012 Under-23 World Championships in Lithuania, silver at the 2013 World Cup in Lucerne, and gold in the women's four at the Under-23 World Championships in Austria. Talk us through all of that kind of success.
2: Yeah, so... Um, so, how rowing works is you don't really peak as an athlete until your late twenties. So, I think the average age for winning a gold medal at the Olympics is 28, 29. Um, so, the way that the kind of the way that rowing set out is you have juniors, which is school age, or like while you're still at school, under 23s, and then once you pass that, then you go into seniors. Um, so, they're kind of the stepping stones of how it works. And like I said, I was rowing in Ballarat, and we didn't have We didn't have water. I didn't really know you could row after school. Like like I said, a little country girl. I didn't really know much about rowing. I didn't know sport outside of school. So mum obviously got me in touch with Melbourne Uni and that's where I started rowing. And for there, it kind of, I just paced myself and I just kind of said, okay, this is my goal this year. So when I was first out of school, it was just to pretty much roll at club like it wasn't even to win anything it was just I'm just want to have a go at club and I think it was to make like the Melbourne uni under 21 eight and then the following year it was about making the youth eight which each state at national at national sorry on the last day there's an interstate regatta so each state puts forward two underage under 21 eights uh, men's and women's two uh, lightweight boats a lightweight men's four and a lightweight women's quad and then a Men's eight, a women's eight, a men's single sculler, and a women's single sculler, and um, two para uh, um, para single scull, and a for the men and women. Sorry. And so that's kind of the goal when you're first starting out is you want to make that under twenty one state eight, and then from there you kind of if you've done well there, then it's kind of for under twenty three. So I was really lucky. I had a really great squad and a really great group of girls that I kind of went through youth with and a really great coach Peter Koopsis. um and he like he the coach um Cooper he wasn't complimentary like he was an impeccable coach but <laughs> I think like I got like a well done and a hug from him once but that was just like it was kind it's of a like a running day. joke it was like can you make <laughs> Cooper smile like but deep down, you kind of knew that he, he cared about you, but you just, he didn't really show it. But he was really tough on us. And I can remember she's turned into my best friend, but myself, my best friend, Emma Webley, we were rowing the pair together. And our goal was just to make it to under 23 trials. And he's like, Right, what, you know, we sat down, he's like, What are your goals this season? We're like, Oh, we really want to make under 23 trials. And he said, I think you should come up with a more realistic goal. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we're like, Oh, okay, no. Nice. Like, screw you and so like in our race plan we had a uh, I don't know am I allowed to swear on this podcast well, I had a, we had a um, yeah we'll make it explicit we had a, <laughs> right, we had a uh, fuck Cooper call so through the K, it was like fuck Cooper but like at the same time like I appreciate so much of him and what he did for us and, and teaching us like on paper we shouldn't have been as good as what we were and still like and he said it he was like I can't work out why you guys go fast in a pair but you know there's a lot of reasons that I could talk about of why we did but the main one was just because we're doing it for each other like I said we're best friends and we and we wanted to go fast together and would have fights and would make up and it was totally fine like she you know she's like a sister to me so for me I was really lucky how I started out I had like such a great support network um and then breaking on to the underage scene for me I'm I'm quite a small rower so most heavyweight female rowers are like around 180 centimetres and about 80 or 75 to 80 kilos or more. Like ideally you want to be plus 180 centimetres and probably plus 80 kilos if you're like a big strong girl.
1: Well that's definitely not me I'm only (laughs) 5'1". This is
0: the midget podcast. Yeah I don't think I could ever
1: become a professional roller but just talking about your journey as a professional athlete you've obviously faced like ups and downs what's been like the main advice that you've taken just like the emotional up and down roller coaster?
2: I think it's a, it's a tricky one like it all it all comes out in the wash like if you keep working hard and you keep just chugging along and doing the training and and working hard and you keep your head on you keep a level head on your shoulders it'll all come out in the wash and, and those people who they might be bigger than you or they might be better on you on paper but if you can hold it together on race day and and trust yourself then then you'll be right i think um it's a tough sport it's a it's a funny sport in the fact that it's you know, you can be talent ID and, and that's kind of what I was going to talk about is that they want really big girls. And and for me, I'm not that I'm about 170. So I'm 176 on a tall day. And then every other day I'm 174 <laughs> and um, I'm about 70 kilos. And so, you know, you know, these talent ID kind of scouts used to look at me and, the, and they didn't want me on the team because on paper, I shouldn't realistically make boats go fast but I did because I had some grunt and had some fight and I'm very passionate and that's kind of what I hold myself to and so, you know there's guarantee you get to the Olympics and every single person that stands on that podium with a gold medal around their neck has had someone say you're never going to make it yeah um, but I think that's what makes you know any athlete or any person so incredible is that the belief in yourself is that you can you can change that. And if, and if you believe in yourself and you got that fight, then you're definitely proven wrong.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you certainly have proven people wrong. In 2016, you made your Olympic debut racing in the women's eight at the 2016 Rio Olympic games. Talk us through that. How was that experience different to normal competing? You'd obviously already had some pretty significant success in the rowing world. How is the Olympics different when you're about to get in that boat? How is it different to a normal regatta?
2: Um, so my Olympics were a little bit different to probably most people's. Um, so I, so yes, I was selected in the women's eight and we had to, so for rowing, you have to, at the world champs, you have to try and qualify the boat. Um, so you don't actually qualify yourself. You qualify the seats for the country. And we were unsuccessful in doing that in 2015. So there's the last chance regatta, which they call the regatta of death, um, which is in Lucerne in I think it's like April May the year of the Olympics and so we I got selected in the eight for that and we you know we trained and we went over there and we tried to qualify it and we were unsuccessful. So we all kind of went away and, and it was funny it was funny at the time all the drama was just starting to blow up about the Russians and the doping and one of the girls in the crew said oh guys make sure you keep training because you never know and we kind of laughed it off and we're like yeah pride oh mole like not going to happen but whatever and so I kind of went home and I was devastated you know I'd worked definitely for at least that four years my goal was to go to the Olympics and I you know I just assumed it was going to happen um and then when it didn't so I started training for a marathon because I was like well, I need something to do I'm going to run a marathon because that'll keep me um active I'm um, addicted like for me the endorphins and my mood is very important so I was like I need those endorphins so I'll train twice a day for this marathon and it'll be great and I'll keep doing weights and you know I'll come back for the next cycle ready to go because I'll still be strong but I I can't I just can't mentally row right now. Mm. So I was training for a marathon with the bow seat who was in that 8 feet, Albert and then all of a sudden probably 3 weeks out from the Olympics these rumors started popping up about you know, what are the, what's the IOC going to do about the Russians? Obviously, they'd been banned in the athletics, but they hadn't been banned in any other sports. And they were like, well, if you're banning them in the athletics, surely you should ban them in other sports. And all this kind of stuff started popping up. So then it was, of course, first they had to decide if they get rid of the Russians, will the next best people get to come in? And so that answer came through and was yes. But they hadn't actually decided whether they were going to get rid of the Russians or not. And the, I, the IOC said, we're going to leave it up to the individual sport federations to decide that. So for us, that's FISA. So FISA then had to go away and decide, okay, are we going to let the Russians race or not? And what are we going to do? And so we were probably waiting for about 36 hours. And then that night, they were kind of like, okay, they're going to make a decision at 8 o'clock. We're going to have a teleconference at, you know, 8.10. Make sure you got your phones on you. And, you know, that was pretty stressful because you kind of sit there and you know, you're like, okay, like the, my Olympic dream is, you know, it could, it could actually come true even though for two months I've thought it wasn't going to and I've been preparing myself to, you know, run a marathon so I could forget about the Olympics essentially. And, you know, so we called out for this teleconference and I like, still haven't made a decision, still haven't made a decision, called back and then it got to I think to about 9 o'clock and we're on their phone with the um, CEO of Rowing Australia. And he's like, now, girls, what I'm about to tell you, it doesn't go on social media. Like, we've got to wait to have a press release. And I was like, oh, we're on here. And he said, pack your bag, we're you going to Rio. And like, even now, it still gives me goosebumps. Like, they're just the screams and like, the joy you could hear over the phone from these, you know, nine girls was just ecstatic. So all of a sudden it was like, okay, I'm going to the Olympics again. So we all rounded up and we went and started training in Melbourne and they were trying to figure out when we fly out. So like, well, if we fly out straight away, there's nowhere for you to stay, obviously, because nothing had planned, but they weren't sure if we are going to go. And then there was also the factor of jet lag and everything like that. So we flew in the night of the opening ceremony we landed and I think we raced maybe two days later. So for us, it was very much a, it was very surreal experience. It was very last minute. And I kind of, you know, went there, I was like, It's going to be very, very, very hard for us to do well to even make the A final.
1: It was so good that you got that opportunity. Like, that's an incredible story, especially because, well, the others already knew the feeling that they had been selected. But let's just touch on next year because it's only been recently released that Russia, well, they've been banned from the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. What are your thoughts on this? And do you think they deserved this punishment?
2: I think it's hard. Doping's obviously, like, I'm completely and utterly against it. But I feel like my job as an athlete is to go out there and race and all I can control is what I do. So I think I am very supportive of the IOC's decision to, you know, really put their foot down on doping. I don't think, you know, probably the wrong thing to say, but is Russia the only country that dopes? It's questionable, obviously, for them. It's state organised and that's why it's so bad. But I think, you know, WADA and the IOC and everyone, they needed to put their foot down and say enough is enough, like we can't be doing this anymore. We want a clean, fair sport and that's what the Olympics is about.
0: Do you think it's going to change the culture in rowing? If you're saying that Russia aren't the only team doing it, do you think that it's going to clean up the sport in general?
2: I think like, it's, for, honestly, rowing is pretty good in terms of doping. Like very rarely does any like positive results really come through. I think like the last one that I'm aware of and whether this is factual or not was Ukraine in 2004 won gold in the women's quad and they got their medals taken off them and we came fourth in that race. So we actually ended up getting a bronze medal. But, you know, the really sad thing about that is is you look at it and you don't get to, our girls never got to stand up on the podium and receive this bronze medal. And that moment was taken away from them. And one of them, because obviously then everyone kind of got the next medal. So the USA won won bronze, but then obviously got bumped up to silver. And one of the girls on the Australian team, she got her bronze medal because they didn't get a brand new bronze medal, but the US girl had already had her name and boat class engraved on it. Because obviously everyone gets the medals. It doesn't have your name on it. But she'd gone and got her name engraved on it. So her bronze medal now has the name of some American chick. (laughs) Um, I think it's hard. Like, it's really – like, I – I'm wary. I, like I don't. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Like obviously, I'm completely against doping. But I trust that ASADA is, do, you know, the Australian um, anti-doping is doing everything in their power to make sure that all Australian athletes are clean. And and right now, realistically, that's that's all they can do. And then you've got to trust that WADA's on it as well. And I think that's the biggest thing with Russia is that their governing anti-doping agency was pretty much helping them. So. I think that the IOC, IOC, sorry, has definitely made the right decision. But it is a hotly contested topic. And when I say, like, I say that I don't think they're the only country doping, but I don't have any proof. And that's just my opinion, which probably isn't, probably shouldn't be saying that.
1: So talking about, well, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, you've been in training for three years. Can you talk us through, are you looking to go and be chosen to represent Australia?
2: Yeah, so um, something that changed as part of that, story, to kind of put it in perspective. So something that changed after Rio was Rowing Australia brought in a centralised programme. So before that, you could kind of train in your home base and then you would relocate to train in your selected crew and then you'd go overseas. But you got to spend at least half a year in your home base. But what happened in 2017 was they said, if you want to row for Australia, all the girls have to move to Penrith and all the boys have to move to Canberra. And so you got selected into what we call as the National Training Centre and you become a squad there. And then that squad, you can make it from outside the centre, but the main core of the team comes from inside the centre. So right now, you know, the way that we're training at the NTC, it's not to be selected on the Australian team. It's to go to the Olympics. Um, I'd say I'd be in with a fair chance. Like I've been, I've won medals in every world champs over the last three years. But having said that, you never know what can happen. You know, I could get injured or... I could, you know, touch wood. I don't think it's going to happen. But, you know, I could have a really bad race. And so, and that's the thing with such an impeccable squad that we've got. Racing is hard. And, it's you know, the racing that we do here in Australia is sometimes even harder than what we do overseas. Like, we've got such a strong squad here. And I train with these girls day in, day out. So I know what they're capable of. But you see me on the start line of world champs. And I kind of, you know, I look over at the Dutch or I look over at New Zealand and I'm like, we've got you. Like, I'm better than you because I know that I'm part of this incredible squad of women that has made me such a better rower.
0: Yeah, and that's fantastic. I've been told that you're a fan of 80s rock music, pre race, <laughs> What's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> what's what's What do you mean? Like, what do you mean? It's a great genre of music.
2: Um, I don't know. I, look. My boyfriend hates my music taste because he reckons that it's just what he used to listen to at boarding school, <laughs> um, which is a fair call. Um, I love Bon Jovi, which is like guilty pleasure, but have it's pretty specific, open that I love have it Have you got a specific lot. song? No, like I probably, like obviously everyone loves Living On Prayer, but for me, it's probably like his other song. Like he's got this song, Never Say Goodbye, that I kind of love. It's got this line and it, it's like, you lost more than that in my backseat, baby. And I just think that's the coolest Ooh. line ever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I well, think he I was could... talking about a medal. He <laughs> you know, was like, living on
2: the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. which like, obviously you've had like, you know, three or four beers. That's a great song. But um, I, I just really like, I find what like 80s rock, like it very, it pumps you up. Like it's almost like this kind of glam rock. Yeah. Like it's very upbeat. Well,
0: you're not having and three or four like beers songs, before like... you get in the boat, are you? So well, what else no, are you obviously doing not. to pump yourself
2: up? <laughs> Exactly.
0: Like no, I think like it's just got that real beat
2: behind it. And, like you know, we have to do a 5-minute erg at threshold before we race and like it's obviously not 80s, but I think for the past like year I've just been listening to Jesus of Siberia by um Green Day.
1: Yeah, nice. Cuz
2: it's obviously it goes for 9 minutes, so I know it's just going to stay on the same song. Um,
1: yeah. well, everyone definitely has their well their own unique kind of routine. Yeah, like some of the girls race... were,
2: yeah, we were talking about the other day. Like some of the girls like the really poppy stuff. Like another girl, she was like, oh, I kind of listened to like Screamo. And I was like emo Screamo, like going back to, you know, year nine, year eight days. And I'm like, yeah, right, okay. Like interesting, cool.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> well,
1: we um, also heard that you enjoy embroidery in your time off. Is that how you keep saying in such a constantly high pressure sport? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's always good to have something else, you know. And if you're, you know, if I
2: just focused on right, I could, you know, it's pretty obvious. I could talk about rowing for hours and I can definitely think about it for hours as well. So it's good to have something else. And for me, mindfulness, you know, sitting there listening to um, Smiling Mind or like breathing exercises doesn't really work for me. If anything, I just fall asleep, which is obviously rule number one of mindfulness is don't fall asleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I tend to go towards my arts and crafts. So when I finished school, I actually did a um, diploma of fashion design and technology at RMIT and that kind of – I've always loved arts and crafts. So, there was a while there where I was really into embroidery and I wanted I wanted a T-shirt with a VB can on it. So, <laughs> I decided I was like, oh, well, like, I, I could either go get it screen printed or maybe I could embroider it. So, I went to Spotlight and what bought some an embroidery. What <laughs> um And oh, I just think it's a delicious beer. <laughs> <laughs> And uh um, yeah, so I brought it a VB <laughs> can onto a t-shirt and then it kind of became a, like a couple of the boys saw it and they were like, oh, loose, like, can you make me one of those? So I've made a, what have I done? I've done a VB can, I've done a Melbourne bitter can, I've done a Carlton draft
1: can. Well, word on the street is that you made your roller of the year awards dress this year. Is that correct? Yeah.
2: yeah. So that's one of the other things. So I, um, like I said, studied fashion and, and learnt pattern making and all that kind of stuff and Last year actually was the first time I ripped out the sewing machine in a good 10 years, close to one, probably eight years, and made my Rollers of the Roller dress. So this year did it again. It's good. It just gives me something to do and it, and it kind of also makes me feel like I'm not just a one-trick pony, like I'm not just a rower, but I've got other things. And I also like to surprise people, like I kind of rock up and they're like, you made that. That's incredible. I didn't know you could do that. Like it's quite a nice feeling to surprise people,
0: I guess. So yeah. Yeah, definitely, and a bit of self-expression and, as you said, creating that identity outside of your professional sport.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So we've got to finish up now. We do have one last question. Who is your biggest inspiration?
2: Like I said, like, for me, rowing is a very incredible sport and and the women that I've met uh, through this sport has been incredible as well and, and I'm lucky enough to have rowed with some of those women. So probably my main two is uh, Sarah Tate, who she won silver at the uh 2012 olympics in the pair and she um she actually passed away in 2016 from uh, cervical cancer but for her i she was just such an incredible woman you know i used to say when i was younger that i you know as soon as i have kids that's me done like i don't think i could row after having kids but She's definitely changed my mind in that. She was one of the first women for Australia to um, have a child and then come back and go on to row at the Olympics. And, you know, for her, I just find she was just such an incredible fighter. And even when she was, you know, battling with her cervical cancer, just her determination to keep fighting it was like, I, I can't even begin to explain how much I've, I've, I look up to her. And then probably the other one is um obviously, obviously rower growing up in Victoria is, is Kim Brennan, Um was formerly known as Kim Crow. She, um, I'm lucky enough to roll at Melbourne Uni and she's a Melbourne uni girl and for her, like she never she won um, gold in the single at Rio. And in London she won a silver in the double and a bronze in the in the single. And for her, she's never ever too good to take the time out to talk to someone and I'll never forget the first time I met her it was in two thousand eleven and I was lucky enough to get the call up to row in the Melbourne Uni Open Club 8. And back then it was pretty – a special boat to be a part of. You pretty much had to represent the country to make it. And I walked up to the first training session and Cooper, um, my coach, was there and he's like, everyone, this is Lucy. And he's like, Kimmy's sitting on the ground. She's like, hi, I'm Kim. And I was like, of course I know I who know. you are. But <laughs> she never – you know, she never ever expected anyone to know who she was and she was always – she's very humble in everything she does and her ability that like she trained and, and her headspace and just – Um, how she approached to then go on and and win the single in Rio is very admirable, you know. And even for her, like, she won silver in 2014. And for her, that was, you know, it was a letdown. She was a world champion the year before. And for her, she obviously wanted to go through the Olympic cycle, winning gold. And it's a hard thing to face to then win silver. And you're like, how am I going to come back from that? And the same thing happened to me. We won silver in 2018. And I can remember messaging her and I was like, Kimmy, like, what do I do kind of thing? And, like, she was like, you know, at least you've got it. Just keep training hard. Like, it'll come, you know, and, and that's what she was always just about, just stay in the process and, and back yourself. And and she always backed me as well, like, we would row in Club 8s or the Queen's Cup, which was the Victorian women's Interstate 8. And she would be like, you know, she would jump in the Melbourne Uni Eight. and was like, oh, I'm only going to row the Melbourne Uni 8 if Lucy strokes it. And to have someone like that back you in that way is sometimes like I said you've got to you got to back yourself but then to have the the kind words that Kimmy will say about you in the back of your mind as well always definitely helps.
0: Well we really look forward to seeing uh,
1: you show Kimmy what you got. I know <laughs> <laughs> well you've got an incredible story so thank you so much Lucy just for well taking the time to chatting with us about your career and look we can't wait just to watch you and see where you go as you've definitely got big things ahead of you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much, Luce. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Babes with Balls. We're Taylor and Sarah and you can follow us on
0: Instagram at Balls underscore podcast to keep up to date with all of our most recent episodes. Thanks, guys. Bye.
1: See you soon.